as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Another special guest here today. We've got Chris from Real Film Reviewed on the show. How are you? Hey, man. Thank you very much for having me. Anytime, anytime. So here we are. Let's talk about again another filmmaker who's got interesting audience. He's got like a cult, you know, mainstream blockbuster audience, and then he's got you know some critical acclaim, some infamous acclaim. Just like, hey, that's the kind of filmmaker we need to tackle. Someone who's just hard to describe, varies by every crowd. And so, yeah, here, here we are. He's just done all kinds of movies, often involving bank robbers, crooked cops, and on some occasions, even superheroes. So it is none other than Mr. David Iyer. Basically, once again, we're seeing a trend here. People who have served in the Navy as submarine sonar technician, of all things, and made his way into becoming just a screenwriter. You're not going to find this on Wikipedia, but fun fact, his first gig was being a writer on a crappy Steven Seagal movie that premiered on HBO called The Patriot. No relation to the Mel Gibson movie. (laughs) (laughs) No one was happy with this movie, so all the writers, when they saw that there were multiple rewrites, uh, went under a different alias, and Iyer was one of the two writers who may or may not be credited. He's either a fourth writer who contributed or something like that but it's one of those is like yeah everyone changed their name because they did not want to be associated with this piece of shit and he then made the u571 movie which you know was helmed by jonathan Mostow. things up a little bit <laughs> that opened up he wasn't very happy with it because it kind of just basically it was you know americans getting stuff for you know the british and the British were just like, no, we're the ones who, you know, retrieved codes from these German submarines that were captured. And he was annoyed with how he had to kind of just do a little historical inaccuracy. But I mean, in all fairness, I mean, it's just, it's popcorn. You know, it's all very loose historical fiction is really all it is. And it's a fun cast and everything. And obviously, you know, it's all about the Foley and explosions. So it's, it's not deep like Dawes Boot, but it's definitely catering to that same kind of crowd. You know? Yeah, I think that's a military thing. Uh, I know that he had a little bit of a history before he did that, but uh, before he enlisted in the Navy. But I think all mil- I was military and I don't care for a lot of 
military movies that civilians typically like. Oh, good. And it's not his first roundabout, but I can't say it wasn't a bad way to get in the door. You know, it's way better than... I really enjoyed it. Well, and and because, like you say, so many war movies nowadays just seem to just... I don't know. They just seem to want to just tell the same billion stories and just show a battle. And it's like, I've only seen it, you know, so many different ways to where it's just becomes repetitive after a while, you know? Uh, But yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that's still a way better step to put in the door as opposed to doing a pretentious sci-fi movie or just a horror thriller. That's a knockoff of something, you know, that, uh, doing a war adventure film on a submarine with an all-star cast that's that's not bad <laughs> uh so then he did some rewrites on the first fast and furious movie i think he still gets some kind of accolades for creating some of those characters but and then uh, that was the same year that his uh script for training day came to life and i, I think that was his main signature style that caught on and it helped that, you know, he had sold it back in 95 and he didn't have to change a single word of it. All he had to do was just change the ending up because he felt like they were glamorizing the villain. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of training. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but I think it just uh, got a it got a lot more attention. I think the public liked it a lot more than I did. I wasn't that crazy about it. It was all right. OK, all good. I'm a huge fan, but I totally get it. I'm. I think a lot of movies, I mean, this and Collateral with Tom Cruise, I think were just kind of just the go-to kind of psycho fillers for a while. And it just seemed like, uh, you know, all, just like in the 90s, you know, if you weren't a fan of, you know, Unlawful Entry or Hand That Rocks the Cradle, then you're kind of a fan of just other kind of scream type movies. And I think that's said, it just was all mashing so much together to where it was hard to keep up with it after a while. And it seemed like after a while, I mean, it was doing what basically every kind of Serpico kind of movie was doing. And, but it's pretty much where both he and Antoine Fuqua just found their voices. Like Fuqua wanted to do gritty drama. And he wanted to do just adrenaline charged, uh, just, you know, show just, I, I think he found his voice in that he wants to showcase a mood. He wants to show, how everyone can be kind of a douche one minute and then the next minute they're doing something totally illegal and they're not sure where they fit in. And I think that's why he was perfect to tackle just crime movies the rest of his life. I think the way that I think his history is kind of what shaped that. Um, There was a lot of, there's a lot of different, a different, I think how people interpreted training day and how they felt about it uh, sometimes had a lot to do with how they grew up and where they grew up. I grew up in California, so it wasn't anything new to me. And I think for people that not necessarily that it was new, they may have known that it existed, but may not have witnessed it firsthand or known anybody that had. And that's real. That's, that was real life for me. That was easy to understand. And for David, I think his thing when he got kicked out by his um, by his parents when he was a teenager, he moved in with his cousin in L.A. and had a lot of experiences in South Central. And I think uh, for me, when I think of David, I mean, I know he's done a couple of things, but majority of his films have been centered around certain types of 
specific crime common to that area. Yeah, and that was something that that I understood. I didn't necessarily grow up in LA. I grew up in the Bay Area, but my cousins lived in LA, and they lived in that area. And you know, when you visit there and you go around the area, and then I did live in LA as I got older. But you get you get used to what's specific to that area. What I mean, there's things that are common area everywhere, like police brutality and corruption, and you know, gangs. You know, all that stuff is common in a lot of areas, but specifically in his films, what I think comes through and what he captures really well is South Central. And uh, one of my favorite movies that he did was was Harsh Times, and both Harsh Times and End of Watch kind of felt the the same to me in terms of the vibe. And I think he did really well at refining yeah. that. Oh, that, that's his bread and butter. He's like to show a bunch of. Because, I mean, we've had so many other cult movies that kind of would show yeah. in moody sides of whether it was South Central or L.A., whether it was yeah. something like Falling Down or Crash or some other kind of movie like that. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you because uh, Harsh Times gets hated on a lot, but often remarked about, you know, Christian Bell's performance. But I think it kind of goes way deeper into those kinds of gangs and uh how showing how everyone can be just very aimless and just not know what they want to do with the rest of their lives and i think he channeled a lot of frustrations as well as what he might have been feeling versus other people he knew and i mean being a high school dropout who was painting houses i think that's what yeah. influenced his attention to detail he he wanted to utilize and vent that kind of energy and i think yeah harsh i mean he rewrote part of SWAT, but I thought that was cool because, yeah, I mean, especially in Roger Ebert's review, he noted how it gave a different side of just a SWAT team before it eventually goes into lethal weapon speed territory, where you know let's let's do a giant you know rescue and everything. But I think that's just it. He just had these little nuances, and uh, apparently he just was constantly just interacting with people of the LAPD and he knew about the office politics as well as just how they claim to be progressive and they're just so not acting like they claim to be. And uh, it just doesn't help when, you know, you know, every city, any state has, you know, a cool side, a shady side. And when you have all the systematic, you know, bigotry and, just other imperfections that no one wants to deal with. It just becomes just a, a constant cluster. And I think, yes, like you say, he shows how he almost always has a character who's uh, like a former jarhead or just someone who is being transferred and not looking forward to working with a new set of crewmates. And Essentially, yeah, Harsh Times, I think, was definitely where he was going to get show that showcase more brutality and more just relentless uh, showcase of the various streets that the characters roam. And uh, it, it was just also cool to just kind of feel like he really was coming into his own as opposed to doing the billionth Goodfellas or Blood in, Blood out knockoff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it seemed like everyone would do that for a while. Like they open up, someone does a sh- Godfather type shootout, and then they have you know fade to a you know a, a voiceover, and it's like no, 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 no. See, now you're just blurring the line between homage and ripoff. Now it's just it's well, either way, it's reminding me of a better and arguably superior movie as opposed to letting me see you do your own thing. And I like how he doesn't really do that. He, he rarely seems to have 
voiceovers, especially in that one. He could have easily had a voiceover. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't go there. He just said, yeah. hey, let's have – it's often compared to Taxi Driver and other movies, but I think it goes beyond just that because, I mean, he's not trying to go out of his way to just, you know, clean up the streets or anything. He's just sh- showcasing a guy who's friends with, you know, a Latino pal of his and how they're just all just at odds with each other. They just – they, they don't get along with much of anyone and he's so ashamed that he just can't pass that drug test and become a cop. And you're glad because you wouldn't want to see someone like him become a cop, but then you're just like, yeah, I mean, how well, then they give him like, which I thought was pretty funny was, and I, I like how David kind of combines his military knowledge. Cause you do get a lot of knowledge of the government when you serve he's and, and how he was like, well, you keywords. can't be a cop, but you know, Homeland security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a good totally. irony because you're just like yeah, yeah. uh that would so you'd be profiling and who knows you might even have to pick up some of your buddies you know, just yeah who aren't doing legal activities and once he loses his girlfriend and his money he's just you know he get he makes one stupid decision after another and it's just it's a mess you can't look away from but i can see why some people just didn't want to give it the time of day they just thought oh this is stupid i'm turning it off after 10 minutes and i'm like really oh my god it's a different character i i think christian bale is what put me off from it before i watched it and but being in la and living out there it, there are i mean there's a lot of people like that they grew up like that like just because they're white they don't you know you think that they don't they they just don't like what are they supposed to do just like be there and not be cool with anybody that lives around them you know inevitably when you're young enough and you're in that environment no matter what nationality you are if that's where you grew up you have your you have your homies that you hang with and he's got that in the the tax collector too that was another one he had um, Shia LaBeouf kind of playing a not a similar role but a similar role <laughs> and the same kind of deal of everyone guy. was like either put off by the casting or not sure about it. And I think it also helped that he had Cleve Sloan, who was a former gangbanger playing the same guys uh, in that. And, I, you know, from training day. So that was a cool connection, but everyone yeah. didn't notice. You're like, Oh, bone. Yeah. The yeah. same guy from training day isn't here. <laughs> he appears in into watch and street Kings as different characters, but is he really, you know, you never know. <laughs> He's also in bright. Um, but I like how Antoine Fuqua used him as well and even did a documentary on him. So Fuqua is doing his own thing, but I love how Iyer and, you know, by making just very visual, just type of movies that often, you know, end in a cool standoff. But yeah, I mean, Iyer's just, he's got the dialogue down to where I, I never feel like he's just being a Tarantino knockoff and, you know, Tarantino's already not doing a knockoff to begin with, but that's what makes him what he is. He takes what he loves and puts it into it. And I think, you know, uh, Iyer was always quoted as saying, I want to do something different each t- go around it while doing my own kind of thing. And I'm like, that's cool because you're going to do what you're comfortable with and then just kind of add different kinds of flavor each time, as opposed to, you know, be too, indirect about what you want to do and i think that's just it too many filmmakers when they're starting out want to just be a mercenary for hire and then as a result they don't really get to helm their signature right away and he's pretty much since he was already behind the camera writing he already knew how he would handle a movie if he were directing it since he saw how it could change in the process (laughs) yeah 
so he followed it up with Street Kings, and this time he was just, you know, producing and made his directorial debut. And I think by this point, I was just a hardcore fan for life. It's like, and I, it got wailed on, like, and same kind of deal. Everyone was like, oh, I like. Yeah, I like yeah, Street Kings was okay. <laughs> Not a fan. Oh man, I, it wasn't that it was bad. It was it was okay. It was it was okay. It wasn't it wasn't a bad film. Um, I'm not really well. No, I can't really say that. I think at the time I wasn't super into Paul Walker. Um, it's Keanu Reeves. Um, my bad, Keanu Reeves. Sorry, <laughs> well, I was thinking enough. of uh. I was thinking of the Fast and the Furious because that's what I was looking at on my oh, list. No, but no, no um, Keanu Reeves. That was my thing is that I didn't really buy him in that role uh, with what I had been seeing him in, and it just. Well, yeah, he's a limited actor, and that's it. He. Yeah. He's, but for me, this was his return to be doing a speed kind of role, as opposed to just more Matrix, Point Break type movies. And it's like, it opens yeah. up same kind of deal. He's. You know, he's he's not sober and his wife died years ago. That's all you need to know. But he does little subtleties here that like just looking around aimlessly or just at odds. And I liked how, I mean, he worked with James Elroy, who's quite the character. And then he had Kurt Wimmer from Equilibrium, who would do other movies like Salt and uh, just the horror film Spell, as well as Law Abiding Citizen which Iyer did rewrites of. And Love I, that. Oh, totally. Uh, Iyer's done a lot of rewrites of other movies in between, including Taking Lives with Ethan Hawke. But uh, yeah. uh, this one I felt like, it's just like, okay, so again, you got a bad cop who doesn't want to do the bad shit anymore. And so it is kind of like Elroy doing kind of his LA confidential kind of style, but in a night, in a today's, uh, you know, society where, again, you know, he's already having to be a poster boy basically for the camera and Graham Revelle's music is just perfectly complimenting how just, again, uh, it, it could easily be an episode of The Shield. And I'm not saying that just because Forrest Whitaker's in it. I'm saying it because it's just showing how everybody basically is just vicious and has nothing nice to say about one another. and. <laughs> you know it just you got internal affairs bringing down his neck and but it stands out in that you know aside from the cast you know you got a bunch of rappers like the game and this was definitely the first thing i saw common in well i take it back i seen him in american gangster but this was i where, was trying to think if this was the first thing that i saw common in it oh, but i can't it's definitely it, it was one of the first i'll say that it's definitely an underrated chris evans role for me and i know he was just known for dorky comedies at that point and, you know, those awful Fantastic Four movies. But this is before, you know, Captain America. And I was like, yeah, see, he's pretty witty because <laughs> he's just the plant. He's just sit by internal affairs to keep an eye on him and just having his, you know, nickname being Disco and how that's just it. The, to them, doing raids is a dance, but this is even more hard because it, it does take even a rewatch to realize it's like, okay, these two cops that came in here and killed uh, Reeves's partner, you know, I, he's already got a badass name, Tom Ludlow. And it's like, yeah, so your partner who was going to turn you into internal affairs got killed. Was it by, you know, 
crooked cops or was it by robbers? You don't know until the very end. So there's plenty of suspects. So when I saw people saying, oh, so predictable, I'm like, no, 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 no. See, that part is not predictable. Knowing that the captain's behind it, sure. <laughs> that's a whole different story. Yeah, that was a, and that's what I liked about it. That's why I'm like, you know, it wasn't a bad film. And that was a good, I enjoyed the twist that it, that it turned, that it took us on. But that's just it. You don't know if he's going to turn himself in or go down. It's like, no, eventually it comes down to the whole, they're all loose cannons and, you know, in suits. And so you pretty much got to end them. (laughs) It is training day-ish. And I I love how someone made some poster art showing how uh, Ludlow is in the car with Denzel's detective Harris from training day. (laughs) Someone did something of that years ago. I was like that. I would love to see him connect his whole world one of these days since most of them are through Fox, but it won't happen, but that would be cool. Um, I even made a Wicca in his name years ago, (laughs) but uh, yeah. So that brought him then to end of watch and that got him more. And finally, that was where he finally seemed to get both critic and audience approval. And that almost like, made me want to be a cop after watching that. <laughs> which is so weird because it's like, yeah, who wants to be a traffic cop? You know, it's not exciting. Right. It's exhausting. It's shitty. And everyone's got testosterone as opposed to just coming home from work, feeling like you made a difference. And I mean, it, it just made good use of its gimmick, just showing the camera on the, you know, uh, suits and, showing every how everyone just thinks they're hot shit one minute and then oh i gotta take this seriously and it was the same kind of deal i was like eh, i don't really consider jake gyllenhaal an action guy and i like michael pino but is he ready to lead a movie and i just again it just surprised me so i think he really is good at using actors and it speaks to them because they're like yeah this isn't this isn't just stupid or unorganized or you know a dumb dorky lethal weapon knockoff this is actually a pretty pretty key it's pretty engaging so i I think they just light up with his dialogue and i never felt like he was a michael mann knockoff or anything so i think that helps it was one of those movies where you kind of you you don't want to cry but you do at the same time it's like (laughs) oh that danced on a nerve you know and being in being military and you know, he, he. I think that's one of the best things that I like about him is his ability to combine his experiences and really let it come out. And and being able to make Jake Gyllenhaal feel something is impressive. It's not that he doesn't in a lot of movies, but not every director can bring that out of often. Jake. Yeah, yeah. They, I ripped him on my on one review of Guilty because it's just like, gosh, I'm just so sick of you being so unemotional in your films and getting away with it. Not every director lets him get away with it. And he really brought it out in that Prisoners one. So that was a like great performance the only time out of I've everyone. Seen oh, yeah. But Prisoners is like the only time I've really seen him be emotional besides this one. The rest of the time, he yeah. just kind of just stood there <laughs> as if they didn't know what to tell him. And it's just like, okay, so do I. And... I don't know. I think at this point he wanted to work with someone who was more experimental because he had had a bad experience working with David Fincher on Zodiac, apparently. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> can understand. Yeah, because he likes to do multiple takes of everything. And I don't know. Some people need to stay in their cage and realize, okay, just do your best. But there's other times where it's like, dude, 
can we go home now? <laughs> yeah, and that's, I just worry about that being a thing with me on set. I'm hoping that it doesn't end up being that way where I just get stuck in my craft because I'm a former athlete and uh, we used to, we would be oh, out wow. there late, you know, like coach wouldn't let us go home until we got things right. <laughs> so oh, I'm no. just like, uh but you have to at the same time, people aren't going to get, they're not going to get it right if they don't have rest and food and sleep and, you know. So oh, totally. And if you're just doing a lot of things, eventually you're like, am I doing something wrong? I'm having doubts now. <laughs> yeah, me being the editor I am, it's kind of difficult to be a director and an editor. It's like, uh, if we just shoot it correctly, I won't have to edit this so much. Uh, but at the same time, you have to not be so overbearing. <laughs> Say something, man. Uh, so, yeah, he follows it up with uh, two movies in 2014. He's got Sabotage with Arnold and Company and a bunch of other, you know, actors in just unrecognizable roles. Annabelle Wallace, uh, Terrence Howard, Joe Manigello. And it's like, Jesus, I've never seen them in any of these kinds of roles. <laughs> Sam right. Worthington, so another Terminator actor, and Ugh. yeah, I, he's again a guy who I've seen be very shallow in other things. And here it's like I would have never known, guessed that was him. I, and not Animal Wallace, uh, Mary Ellenos, <laughs> but um, so uh, you know, same year as the war movie Fury, which I actually got to see in theaters and was blown away. Oh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that in theaters. And I see a lot of people shit on that one because the same thing. They're just like, they couldn't separate Shia LaBeouf. And I, I didn't see anyone. I just saw uh, an old 50s style war B picture with everyone just showing how after a while, you know, again, he's really good at showing much like he is with the cops doing the whole, hey, I shot him, but he deserved it. He was shitty. Even though I filled out paperwork the wrong way, he does the same thing with the war guys. It's like, okay, we're yeah. committing war crimes, but it's all good because... They're Nazis. Uh, so I like how he's just showing the distortion, but instead of, you know, anyone else would just like to have an actor play to the camera. He, instead of just doing that, he just always, again, just, he just ratches up the dialogue. He just really just gives you an idea. It's like, yeah, see, that's not too fancy. It doesn't sound like, again, you just want to be, do a lot of clever, too clever for its own good wordplay. You really are trying to actually make them sound different because that this is just how they talk. And I wouldn't be surprised if you studied some cops on the job and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to work in this guy. He's worried about his burger getting cold in the car. He's worried about his gun, you know, uh, not being imposing enough, you know, or making some other just off color jokes where everyone's like, yeah, you suck, but we'll have a beer with you. <laughs> Cause who else are we going to be accepted by? So uh, I see a lot of I mean, people well on this one, uh, and I, I'm, I'm in the camp that considers it one of Arnold's most underrated movies. And again, there's another guy who you never re he had charm, but you never really went to his movies because oh, he's an actor. And I just I, I didn't even see him after a while. I'm like, really, this is this is Schwarzenegger? <laughs> this is not this is not a typical Arnold. This is not at any point do I get the you know him punching someone in the face, you know, or just typical Arnold and after a while I mean it's interesting how I, I just love how there's other twists where his unit is getting shut down and 
the DEA is having to play politics to where they're just like, okay, you can recover the money, but we'll always suspect that you, you know, uh, stole it. But I, I just really dig the serial killer plot as well, because it's not trying to be the billionth, you know, seven or saw type knockoff. Instead, it's just more just like, yeah, these are guys who have done bad things to members of the team before, and now you're all going to probably be victims because, again, you took all this dirty cartel money. <laughs> yeah. It's irrefusable, and yet it has consequences. You're going to wind up dead, and we're not going to just simply do a explosion. We're going to probably do something way more vicious. He's kind of a Tarantino in that way where he he'll set them up but then make them pay for it. <laughs> Totally. And I feel like we're just in a very, I mean, we mentioned Fast and Furious earlier. I'm I'm the same kind of way where I'm just like, I'm just so tired of everyone just being contrarian. They're cool with seeing something stupid in Fast and Furious. But if another movie that's like an Expendables kind of not, you know, homage to like earlier 80s and 90s movies comes out, they instantly wail and do the whole, oh, so dumb. I'm like, but it's making fun of those dumb movies you grew up with. So what's different? And same kind of thing kind of here is like this is kind of trying to be kind of a uh, you know Tarantino Michael Mann-esque in that it's it's got multiple things going on and it's putting as much detail to the characters bizarre motivations as it is the gunfire and yet so many people just love to well on saying I can't get into it and I think it's easily one of Skip Wood's best screenplays and he's one who gets well on all the time for his uh, just because he's was often aside from Swordfish, he was often the go-to for just rewriting a bunch of movies for Fox. And I, I think, think it was, Swordfish was just perfect. Loved it. <laughs> well, totally. And I think this was his attempt to go back to. Uh, I don't have to worry about doing anything. I'm just going to come up with a twisted premise. And yeah. uh, I think it still said, did a lot of good considering how the studio had to cut out so much to avoid getting like an X rating or some shit like that. And it seems like, again, I, I see so many people well on it and I hate it when I'm in a scenario where critics I typically disagree with, get it. <laughs> like, uh, Richard Which happens Roper, to me every single time, every time I disagree. <laughs> yeah. That every time, every time, you know, it's that, that film that I like go to bat for then the critics agree with me. And I'm like, man, that tends to happen. This is so weird. And yeah, and Richard Roper gets this. And yet he's typically, he hated training day and he hated, but he likes SWAT though. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what fuels him. And I, I so SWAT was entertaining. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I didn't, I didn't hate training day. I just, I probably won't watch it again. So I guess that, yeah, means but that I don't necessarily care for it. And people that like it, love it. And it wasn't bad. It just wasn't my thing, but yeah, but he was like, SWAT? it doesn't work in any way, shape, or form. And I'm like, well, right. that cinematography gets me into the LA landscape. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, see, that's another thing. I'm like, that's a, yeah, growing up in LA, or, or well, not in LA, grow, growing up in California and then like visiting in LA and then living in LA. It's just like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I have my thing with LA. So I, I never really blame the movie. <laughs> it's all good. I, I like how it shows its vicious nature as opposed to making it all pretty and fancy. Um, yeah, which is what the majority of it is. Then that's the funny part. I'm like, oh, you're talking about a very specific area that you can pretty much see all in Pretty Woman. <laughs> that's yeah, the area oh that you are thinking that is. Like, that's not 
that's not real l that's not real la celebrities don't live there they live in outskirts of that that's right kobe bryant was getting helicoptered in like he was maybe the valley man (laughs) yeah but no this is weird rupert compares sabotage uh to a spaghetti western but then he's like it's not trying to be david fincher-ish well why would you even want to even bring that even remotely up so (laughs) not everything has to be as awesome as david fincher to be a good movie so this is my deal i i don't like to compare people if there's just so unlike stuff you know like if I see a Michael Bay movie, I'm not going to say, just don't expect David Lynch. I'm like, well, not even remotely in the same ballpark. <laughs> right. I mean, Apples there's a oranges. whole lot of, I mean, I remember when I, I learned that James Wan was doing Aquaman. I was like, what? That's, I'm down. I'm going to watch it. That might be interesting. And then I saw the previews and I'm I, visually, I was like, yeah, I'm, I have to see this. This is going to be decent. <laughs> so there you everybody's go. like, he's the horror guy. And I'm like, Neh. That's probably why he's doing this. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. He wants to do something he just gets attached to. He's like a comic book guy. I'm not a fan of his yeah. Saw movies, but I find him a very interesting guy just to hear in interviews. And I think after Death Sentence... Uh, it was a wanted- completely different idea from what was going on at the time The first when the first Saw came out. Because if you remember what was coming out back then, that was like The Grudge. Well, that's that too. I I already had fallen off the map in terms of horror <laughs> movies. Just and Wishmaster and bad. Yeah. other '90s movies got me back into the fold. But yeah, always I would see there would always be a serial killer movie, and this kind of comes us back to here. Is like I don't get a Seven vibe or even just even Law Abiding Citizen vibes too much. I, I feel like this is a closer Punisher movie than any of the actual Punishers. The, the, this that's is a what fair would, point yeah this is what it would be <laughs> I can like see that because for a while it just seemed like everything has to be fun a slasher but it's funny like scream or it, yeah it must be just oh clever he's got all the characters blood and he has messages for the main guy only he is smart enough to figure it out it's like no no just stop it's it's been done to death literally and i i think hit this and fury back to back you know he lost the studio battle with sabotage but yet most of the fans were able to see through and find it very entertaining. And those who never gave it the time of day didn't, but Fury was the same kind of deal. I mean, those who weren't into war movies didn't even bother going to it. And those who liked the cast that, you know, I've never seen that side of Brad Pitt. I've seen him play all kinds of, you know, moody guys. Um, but yeah, I think now everyone just shits on him because he just did, you know, suicide squad and bright back to back. And I think it was just one of those where, again, the studios just want to continually edit him. And I don't know if he's trying to be a Sam Peckinpah type where he just wants final cut on everything or if he just goes over time or budget. I I don't know. Why is this happening? That's a fair. I'm curious as well to find out what exactly it is. Uh, the, Do they just think they'll get an X rating because stuff is violent? And I'm like, <laughs> there's way more stuff that should get an X, but for right. violence. But I, that's yeah, hands down. I'm like, well, I'm a veteran that can attest to the fact that I was pretty desensitized when I was in war zone situations uh, compared to, uh, and that came from just watching a lot of gory movies. That you don't really 
process what's happening in front of you because you're like, oh, I feel like I've seen that a million times. Well, yeah, but this is real. Like, okay, but it doesn't, it doesn't right. make it any, <laughs> doesn't make so. it any less real. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so he does, he does these both back to back and Suicide Squad, I think there are fun elements. It's just the Jared Leto Joker is the one that pisses everyone off. But I really do feel like they blend as a team if you take away all the other stuff. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Suicide Squad and the combination that they had. And I'm a big Jared Leto fan, so I was interested to see the combination of him. And Even then, I don't even see Leto. It's just everyone, I don't know. It seems like this is where everything had to be compared to one another. And I was just like, I, I just think it has a fun sense of humor about it. Now the director's cut apparently would include more Joker stuff to where there's enough for another movie. I think they need to proceed carefully if they actually do want to do a director's cut, but I don't know. I, I was just fine for just again, Oh, just how the whole team comes together and just the other nuances. I would, I've ever rank it as this, you know, absolute top 10 movie. No, but I still feel like everyone got a lot of things to do. Like boomerang was a lot of fun. And that says a lot. Cause I had been so disappointed with Jay Courtney and his previous movie and TV appearances. And I mean, Viola Davis was great as Amanda Waller. And I'm glad that some of the elements carried over into the other suicide squad films, but it just seemed like he had to, yeah, I really he had to bear it all. Oh, totally. And I think, everyone had to just bear all that grief. They just had to wail on him, act like he was responsible for it all when they knew damn well that the studio had, again, just like with Justice League, taken it away from him. He had no say about it. And I I like how, unlike anyone else, he doesn't go on too many tangents. He's just, he wants to move on instantly. He's already kind of had his street cred, so to speak, no pun intended. And he's just like, yeah, okay, next one. Hit me. Versus Zack Snyder that will re-release the movie that he wanted to do. Triple the <laughs> triple the time. Like, oh, uh, or even pull a Scorsese and do the whole, I hate everything. Come see my new boring free hour piece of shit. <laughs> um, so Bright, I found it okay, but I didn't, it didn't leave much of an impression on me. Same. And it was, uh, it felt like iRobot in a different version. But yeah, Will is basically still... That could have been Will Smith's fault, but... <laughs> well, that and he and Joel Edgerton seem to be getting along, but I, I blame it mainly on Max Landis because, you know, Max is a total Twitter troll and it was just one of those where I haven't really cared for anything he's done and I just like, nothing personal. It has nothing to do with your dad being a terrible person. I'm just saying, I think... I, I, just, I think... My main issue is he just loves to act like oh, I've made such original movies that the studios don't get. I'm like, uh, I'm not getting any original stuff from this. Right. This is Alien Nation meets Lord of the Rings. I mean, Will Smith even said it's Train Day meets Lord of the Rings. I'm like, well, yeah, it, it's whatever. It's just a weird ass <laughs> movie. I don't think they'll ever make a sequel to it because even oh, though they're making a sequel to it, they really are. Okay, they I are. thought. I thought they had abandoned that idea, but they kept So did I. I was really surprised when that came up. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, it could definitely expand, but it would have been just better as a show, like a six-part miniseries or something, you know? Because it, it, it would just, have been a better place for it, yeah. 
Yeah, because it goes by so fast and has so many music montages that don't feel like his typical style. And, you know, when I got back to the tax collector, it got wailed upon again. And I couldn't tell how many of these critics were just like corporate tools who just got a will on anyone, not let them catch a break. It, it kind of felt like they were doing what they do with Kevin Smith or anyone else who's trying something different. And I was just like, this is way better than it's like 20% like great on whatever critic site. I mean, cause I, I got what I expected. I got a return to literally the first year of Iyer's work. I saw everyone again, his casting is just on the nose. I, I, you knew Jimmy Smith was in it, but you didn't know he was the main, you know, mentioned villain, the wizard. <laughs> like, damn, okay. True. Cool. I, I, Same with Jared Leto. I mean, I knew it was Jared Leto. And like you mentioned, you don't even see him. I agree. I, I knew it was Jared Leto, but I didn't see him as Jared Leto through the whole film. I, you know, and obviously there's the credit to the actor as well, but it's just the, the interpretation, the way that he brought it to the screen. It seems like after a while, you can't tell if the critics are just wailing on someone because they, again, they they follow they tabloids like the too closely. <laughs> yeah. I just have a feeling it's that because I do that with my reviews. I will try and keep, I always tell myself, try and keep your bias out of this. And I'll fully admit to everybody, okay, I'm not the biggest fan, but if I like what they do, then I'll I'll say that I'm like I'm not the biggest fan of them usually and this one I really enjoyed because that's in my opinion I think it's important for people to know if you don't like that person that this film is still worthy or still decent even well, though anyone can be well it, or, used even in a bad in a good or a bad role you know it's like yeah there's plenty of actors who I don't care for but I can't there's some cases where I'm like yeah I probably would have done a shitty job with that material too because it's just feels like something's being cut out or and again as so many people will on something right away and we just that's why i feel like the theater actually takes away from the experience half the time because you're you're just responding to all the loud fully and all the visuals just being unleashed upon you and i don't even know why everyone wants the reviews then and there when they're more likely going to disagree with the mainstream critics anyway and go to their favorite youtuber or podcast review it and I think a lot of his movies do have a loyal audience that because I always yeah. get someone who says, "Oh, I love the hell out of Street Kings or Sabotage or Training Day," and then I see others like, "Yeah, I've liked one or two of his movies. He's overrated, but it's like that's, that's still something." If in some case, yeah, I, I wouldn't say overrated at all, but yeah, that's that's imperfect. Me. Sure, who isn't? That, that there's plenty of movies by the greats that I don't like. I mean, we, we were talking, when we talked about Brian De Palma, we were like, we feel like he's made more bad movies than good movies, but yet we really like him. Yeah. Especially when he is good. So, I mean, every, I don't go by a numbers game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm an M. Night Shyamalan fan for the same reason. So There's I. some movies that but I, just, I really hate and that I don't like, but I'll see pretty much any, I'll, I'll see all of them because I just, sometimes they're great. And when they're great, they're great. By 08, he was, before everyone was finding out, he had been edited and he literally had to, he went back to film school and like rediscover himself and do low budget movies for a bigger return. It just seemed like everyone just willed on him all at once. Just, he learned the hard way that, again, people are still going by the, you're only as good as your last movie uh, logic. And eh. 
<laughs> if you went by that, he wouldn't be successful at all. But yeah. Yeah. And it's just like he had to just go in little avenues, little, it, it was a maze. And he was constantly being slaughtered by like 10 different minotaurs. And it was just like, man, that's, that's wild. Oh, so, uh, what would you like to see from this guy? Mm. It seems like he was attached to the Wild Bunch remake, and, you know, he was going to remake Scarface, and they let him go because it was just too gruesome. Uh, shocker, what do you want from a Scarface movie? Um, <laughs> Right. I, I would like to see him get away from the whole remake train. I think I know he's better than that. I know he can do more than that. It's just, I also know, I'm not surprised if he just decides to not do anything but crime movies. <laughs> I mean, I know. I'm trying to think of what it would be a decent, because I feel like he's done a lot. He, he, writes differently even if he doesn't direct them he writes a lot of films that maybe not necessarily are super different but they are very different from each other and the characters are entirely different the emotion the vibe is different and the production design is always different so every view that that i get from him that uh that's a decent question i actually wouldn't mind seeing him do a batman movie um or like you mentioned uh, earlier, a Punisher movie. And you don't have to do, those don't need to be remakes. There's a, there's thousands of stories that you can choose from. Uh, you can tell a, a specific story of, of, you know, one of something that they did. Uh, there's a lot of material, obviously, in both. And I'm, He's I'm in kind a weird of... predicament, because it's like the studios will still give them money. And yet, it just seems like... Well, this He's is just if he made it the way he made it. So that, that's the way oh, I look totally. at it. If I could get anything out of him the way he would want it, that's what I would want to see. He's made enough money just about every time, and it just seems like they'll keep giving him a little bit of freedom. But it, yet, these last few times, he's kind of been very annoyed because they really have heavily edited his movies. So it, it just makes you wonder, is he just saying one or two things or saying duly noted to a studio executive or pretending to go along with them when he could probably convince them that their idea is his idea. Cause I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I don't, I think he took the suicide squad thing really hard. So I can't really see him wanting to revisit comic books again anytime soon, but he may very well, if that's where the money is and he gets a little freedom. So I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. I, I'd there, like to see him I do an mean, anthology. I know he. They announced the end of Watch series. I'm not certain when it's coming. Really? Out, yeah. Okay. Well, that's been his best critic and audience score, so I would not be surprised. But he was heavily involved with the Training Day TV show and like wrote the concept for it and everything. And I, I actually dug that show, and because it, it, you know, Bill Paxton was again being his most awesome self, but he, it was really tied in. Like they were former partners of Alonzo's crew. They kind of had an Illuminati kind of weird crime conspiracy going on there. And they, they even had the free wise men, or at least two of them reappear as well as some of the other dirty cops uh, from the movie. So, and it only lasted a season, but you know, uh, 
a lot of those actors have gone on to bigger things and uh that co-creator was also like a former lapd turned writer and ira worked with him on his short-lived fox show uh deputy which had steven dorf and same kind of deal i was like man this is a return to what the earlier ira works that i like seeing and again it's just 13 episodes later and it's canceled i'm like well at least it went out with a bang you know both of them so yeah uh, I, I even told him on his Twitter the day it was canceled. I'm like, you deserve better. And he could like the comment. I'm like, okay, perfect. <laughs> I think he knows his, where his real fandom is and where his bed. Fortunately, a lot of it is his bread and butter. So I think, yeah, he might do another comic book thing, but it's going to have to be one, which only he could adapt that. No well, one I mean, else Bright too is kind of, it's not really a comic book, but it is kind of comic booky. It's basically as close as he's going to get because he doesn't have to get a note from someone saying, hey, you know, you're, you got to change this to be more like this. <laughs> so I, I will see, but I light up whenever I hear his name. I'm like, okay, so there's going to be some intriguing dialogue in a very uh, intense situation. So I <laughs> want to give it a rent or watch it on TV when it premieres. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be decent. Oh. So, thank you ever so much for being on here. So, I'll let you plug uh, Real Film Reviewed real fast. Oh, yeah. So, my podcast is Real Film Reviewed, and on that show, I do predominantly short spoiler-free reviews followed by a post-viewing discussion. So I will uh, give a spoiler warning in the middle. We'll let everybody Warning, you've been spoiled. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never want to do that. And I keep it pretty general for the, the spoilers. I'm very, very specific that like on my Twitter even and on uh, the first, usually about the first five to seven minutes are um, all spent on the spoiler-free review. I give the technical details who directed it and all of that. And then um, I'll do a little short spoiler alert and then go into a post-viewing discussion so that way I can just kind of dive into my thoughts on it. I'm always big on saying I don't recommend films. I just review them. So regardless if I liked them or not, uh, I'll just I'll do a review regardless on it. But I do have kind of a scale and um, so I always you do trigger warning without even saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And it's, you know, I, I went to film school and it's a so passion of mine. I'm a filmmaker myself. <laughs> nice. So that's, uh, that's kind Wait, of which good. one? Uh, I went to the, so part of it was the LA film school. And then the second uh, for what, where it actually finished is at Scottsdale community college, Hey, at least uh, it wasn't but UT. I'm continuing on to GCU. So I'm doing uh, the master's program and stuff too. So at least it wasn't yeah. UT Arlington. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. No, not awesome. That's what I'm saying. At least it wasn't that. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Uh, we got it. I was impressed with the education I got. I think SCC was a lot better. LA Film School was cool. It was just um, really expensive for pretty much the same stuff that I got available at, at uh, SCC. So that was a really great school and had a lot of great professors that uh, worked in the industry and got us connected with a lot of people that actively were working in the industry and it was awesome. It was, it gave us a lot of great experience and uh, it actually served me very well being a podcaster because, <laughs> you know, in film school, you take a lot of, you know, broadcasting sound design and stuff like that. And I'm like, I know how important sound is, but you really understand that when you become a podcaster. And I'm like, I'm so glad that I still have my notes and stuff. 
Yeah, right. I still have some of those where it's like, man, some great notes and no one wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to talk about, hey, study this film scene. I'm like, we've studied it. We know why it works. How can we make ours work? And yeah, and that's pretty much all I care about. Distributing this stuff without them saying, oh, but it's not shot on a what or whatever, you know, that someone use, I love uses. It's like, you're right. It's not shot on any of those because I'm not Soderbergh. I'm not Chris Nolan. I'm not even Michael Bay. I'm not any of those guys. I'm not trying <laughs> to be. I'm trying to make a movie that you'll want to actually see and not fast forward through on Amazon Prime or in a Angelica theater, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of what my, I look for different ways to break into stuff. So that's why um, I started Real Productions, which is the uh, production company that I produce everything through. Oh, real. And that's why, that way I'm like, you know what? I'll just make my own movies rather than trying to have somebody else make it. But what I am doing using my podcast is occasionally I'll do some original content episodes. And uh, those are like the little script reads segments that I do. And I'll read from original scripts that I've written. And right now I'm doing the limited series, 13 Ghosts. So I wrote um, a limited series on 13 Ghosts, exactly like what you were saying. I I wrote it kind of more, I mean, really for anybody who'll pick it up. But I was ideally envisioning it to be a limited series on Netflix and for them to be about 45 to 50 minute long episodes. And uh, everybody's so far is uh, liking it, so it's it's been a good we're working on. I think I think I'm doing thirteen total. Yeah, thirteen episodes. So that's it. <laughs> no, that's Shorter, good because but... I've tried web series that were inspired or technically a fan film. Yeah, and some people just don't get it. They're like, "Oh, we're doing a recreation for your college class or for school." I'm like, "No, no, not at all." <laughs> But you're right in that I probably can't compensate you if the rules dictate that. So, yeah, there's that. But it does get <laughs> annoying in that, yes, you, you have to pretty much read everyone through and through. You have to tell them, hey, we're going to do it this way or that way. I'm not working with your other friend who's ripped off other people or has a bad reputation with these people. It, you know, we've <laughs> got to make a movie. we got to do it on time, on budget. And we got to do that. You know, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's harder to tell other people too, especially when you haven't made it yet. <laughs> yes. It's the vision. <laughs> it's but yeah, um, I'm uh, pretty much, I'm available. So the podcast is available uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts. If not, you can always let me know and uh, I will get it on there. But Twitter is RealFilmPKC and the website is real-film-review.productions. Sweet. Thank you, man. It was a it was a pleasure being on, and it's always a lot of fun. And um, you know, I could talk all day about movies, but uh, for time, I know you're probably late for your thing. But uh, it was no, so okay. much fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. It's just light. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life. Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! 
as needed and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be a you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey, and I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Greetings, friends. My name is Dean Legero, and I'm the host of the 3324 Podcast. I invite you to join me and my lifelong friend Eric Huber to come with us as we discuss the music and movies that shaped our life. Each week, we'll pick an album or film that we really connect to and not only give you some great info and trivia, but also discuss, debate, and celebrate what it means to us and the journey it took us on. We also look forward to hearing from you and giving us some of your picks for us to check out and discuss. I think it'll be a really fun experience, so come along with us for the ride. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, and at 3324.buzzsprout.com. Thanks for your time, and welcome to the 3324 family. We love your movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes and gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven at eilfm.podbean.com
follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.